Hey everyone, welcome to the Refuel Team Fairchild podcast. Our goal with this podcast is for Team Fairchild to get to know each other, our support programs, and to increase our sense of community and development. Every episode, we will be sitting down with people from around the base and learning about them and their keys to success. All right, welcome back everybody to the Refuel Team Fairchild podcast. On this episode, we are sitting down with Colonel Bentley, who is the Wing Commander of Fairchild Air Force Base. Sir, how are you doing today? Doing good. Uh, wrapping up all my immersions with the wing. I should be done next week. And you think you'd potentially get done a lot earlier. I've been here since July 1st, but it, it's, a, it's a big base. A lot of folks to meet, a lot of different mission sets to see. Yeah. I'm actually surprised you got them done this quick. That's pretty, it's only a month. Well, I wanted to get them done early so I can kind of get a, a bigger idea of what the areas of concern are, mm-hmm. and issues that I need at work. Uh, for the airmen and the families. And then good news for us is this Thursday, we're getting our household goods. Oh, that's awesome. It's only been three months since we we shipped them out. And you were coming from Mildenhall, correct? Uh, Correct. Yeah. I was stationed there. That was my first duty station back in 2003. So that's a great base. Yeah, we love it there, but we love it here more. Uh, Yeah, I hear that. But it always feels good to get your household good stuff in. I think it it kind of completes the circle, but it makes me always relax whenever ours come in and you kind of, oh, there's my old whatever it is, and you relax a little bit and feel like you're home, I guess. so. I know. It would be nice to graduate from the air mattress. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. Yeah. Um, and so, because as officers, you all move a lot every couple of years, right? Yeah. For me, I, when I left Charleston uh, Command, I went to um, Illinois for a year, school for a year mm-hmm. in London, and then two years at Mildenhall. So it's been kind of a sequence of moves back to back, if you will, in okay. the last few years. Wow. Well, that's a good segue into our, our first part then here. I, I don't want to take too much away from it. So yeah. um, if you don't mind, sir, just, just telling us your story. How'd you get to where you are? Okay. I'll start from the, the beginning, if sure. you will. So I, I grew up in Henderson, Kentucky. That's my hometown. Mm-hmm. And then when I graduated high school, or before I graduated high school, I was looking at opportunities to go to school. And one of the, the, the schools I visited was Center College, and they had an Air Force recruiter there. Mm-hmm. And so then I learned about ROTC and scholarship opportunities. And so I was able to get a scholarship and I went to Center College, which is a real small school. And then the Air Force actually paid for me to get an engineering degree. And so oh. I did a dual degree program where you spend three years at Center College and two years at University of Kentucky is where I went. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the five years, you get a degree from both schools. So I got a degree in physics from Center, <laughs> degree from civil engineering from University of Kentucky. And then my goal at one point was I was going to be in the Air Force for five years, enough time to pay back my scholarship, mm-hmm. and then move back to my hometown and be an engineer. But then my junior year in college is when they start asking questions about if you want to go to flight school. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'll try that. So I signed up. And then I went to pilot training after a year of being on casual lieutenant. What, uh, what is casual lieutenant? Uh, waiting to go to pilot training. Okay. And so they odd jobs uh, on the base. We actually had like 24 of those. Here right now. Oh, okay. I didn't, so it's didn't casual. Know that they, 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 we put you to work. Did you just get assigned to a, like yeah, a, a Langley, squadron? I was at Langley Air Force Base. So oh, no, wow. I, I had to do. I did a couple different jobs. I worked in command post for a little bit. <laughs> I worked in protocol for a little bit. But then I got to go to the, the flying squadron okay. there at Langley. I always thought they sent you straight from college. They, right they tried to, but sometimes the pipeline's not big enough. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you still want to get commissioned active duty, and then what do you do in the meantime? Right. Right. And so it's it's a it's a good opportunity to kind of get immersed in the Air Force. And also kind of be useful, if you will, doing odd jobs around the base. Mm-hmm. And then the 24 we have here now, I mean, they're, most of them are embedded in the flying squadrons. Mm-hmm. And so they're getting kind of operational experience before they go to flight school. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. 
Interesting. Then, yeah. But then after that, I mean, I, I graduated pilot training, and then I went C-17 for most of my career. I was stationed at Charleston for a long time, mm-hmm. did special operations low level. And then after Charleston, I went to a, I went to weapons school, and then it allowed me to go up to Elmendorf to be the first, I guess, weapons officer up there with the new C-17 squadron that stood up. Mm-hmm. And then school for a year in New Jersey, and then I went to Stuttgart, Germany for two years. Oh, wow. Yeah, I uh, worked in the European Command. Loved, loved living in Germany. It was a fair opportunity for the family and I. Mm-hmm. And then back to Charleston to eventually be a commander <laughs> of the 15th Naval Squadron. And then after that, I got to be the exec for the AMC commander mm-hmm. for a year. Then went to uh, senior developmental education, which is school for St. Colonel's and above mm-hmm. in London. And I went to school. It was a great school, about 100 folks total. I would say 30 was from the UK, United Kingdom, mm-hmm. and rest were from all over the world. Wow. So it was a person from China, Ukraine, all over the Middle East, all over Africa. And I was just one of two Americans in the course. So oh, wow. Learned a lot. It, it, it was yeah. a great opportunity to live in London. We, we liked it there a lot, but we were very much looking forward to moving up north to Milton Hall because mm-hmm. out more in the country setting. Yeah. A little bit more of our, our liking. And then that's when I got to, in the 135 community, was my tour in Milton Hall. Okay. And loved it and, and saw how important, even more so, the tanker is supporting our nation's objectives mm-hmm. and then how much talent we have across the base, um, but in also in the, you know, the 135 community as well, because I was pretty new to it still. All right. And then find yourself over here. Yeah. After I graduated Vice Wing Command, I got, luckily got matched to become the Fairchild. And it was kind of neat because Colonel saw me. He was the operations group commander at Milton Hall before he came here. I was a Vice Wing Commander at a different time. We never crossed paths, mm-hmm. but uh, it was kind of neat. We, we, we joke around that we both won the lottery. Yeah. I get stationed at Milton Hall and then be able to come to Fairchild. Yeah. So so you were the vice wing commander. I was about to ask that. What was your position over there that answers that one? So, okay. And then you got yourself over here. So uh, what what's something about Fairchild that you kind of caught you off guard when you got here? I guess the, the different levels of missions that we support here. Mm-hmm. I knew we support our number one mission, you know, the nuclear mission, but then all the other things that we do here as well. It, it's, it's pretty busy. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit busier than, than I anticipated. And I knew about the mission partners here because I mean I, w- I went to Sears School, but there's other ones here that I, w- I was not familiar with, and so the, the, the responsibility of host installation um, is it, new to me. I mean, as advice, we had it, but it was a smaller scale mm-hmm. than one hall. But I, but I would say the biggest surprise, which is a great surprise, is how much the community supports us. Yes, and the relationships here. Yes, yeah. This has got to be one of the probably. The biggest, uh, the best relationship between community and base that I've I've yeah. come across. Yeah, I, I see it at all levels. Mm-hmm. You know, in my previous base, you usually you have an honorary commander and you have something else and kind of that that layer. But here, it's everywhere. Yeah, and people want to as well. That yeah. that was other thing uh, when I because when I first got here, I was the emergency management flight superintendent, and I'd never seen a base where the EM folks worked so well. With number one, the on base fire department, we yeah. had a real good relationship here with them. And then we all work very well with all the response agencies downtown. I just never, I had never seen that anywhere else. It was usually pulling teeth trying to get one or the other to do whatever. But here it was just very seamless, and it was, it was really, it was a real good surprise. I agree yeah. with that. Yeah, a lot of mutual aid opportunities. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's awesome. And this morning I had a discussion with the team that's going to lead the air show. Okay. And so we're looking forward to that. Hopefully we, we can still have it to the level we want to have it at June twelfth. The next summer yeah and that's just one small way to kind of pay back the community mm-hmm. for all the support they give us 
and that's a big deal here. The last I was here for the last one, and, and it was I was seventy seven thousand people were there yeah, last year. Yeah, we would do them at Effie Warren, but it was kind of like a blit, like a little blit, like eh, it was there, and, and people didn't really care. But here, yeah, the the local community really. Yes, they get into your days on there, right? Yeah, it, it was kind of always around the same time, so I don't know if people were just getting ready for that. But yeah, I was surprised at how many folks came off the insulate or came on the installation for the last one. So it was it was pretty. It's a great recruitment tool. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, want to get the young young folks that want to interest in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more than just as you know, just more than the air show. It's having the EM folks out there, having the fire department out there, the yeah. military working dogs, and the SEER school. You you name it. Mm-hmm. So. It's just a great way to showcase the space. Absolutely. And uh, I know from my limited view of it from the EM side, it was a real good opportunity to exercise all of our MOUs and MOAs and all of our procedures. So it was really all around good, good experience. So after having um, quite a few different bases that you've been to and different experience levels, you know, flight level all the way up to wing command, uh, what, what's something that you would pull yourself aside on, on day one, fresh out of college, first, first day at your first duty station and give yourself some advice? I would say, yeah, I thought about this one a little bit, and I would say, you know, one, be involved mm-hmm. uh, and put yourself in uncomfortable situations. A lot of times you don't want to, you know, especially being a new person, you don't want to put yourself out there. But when you do that, you learn so much in the process mm-hmm. and what you can do better in the future. Because you never know, you, you may be in charge someday where you've had to make that decision. And the more exposure you have and the more experience you have, the best way you can make that decision. I know I struggle with that throughout. I still do it, but um, big time throughout it's my tough. early years. Yeah, yeah to make right, yourself right now, I'm going from one meeting to the other, so I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting involved. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's so many talented. One thing I'm seeing with a lot of airmen here that are doing just that, because mm-hmm. uh, it's very impressive, again, the amount of talent that we have here and the effort they put forth to, to put on programs. That's above and beyond in their core function of their job. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just have this... this the uh, new commanders and spouse symposium that was put on that seemed like it really really well. Mm-hmm. Um, you running the FTAC <laughs> uh, is a great program because uh, that's that's especially important because that's a first impression to get on the, this new base. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, and I I've along with that I I don't know as, as much as I and I know you talk about it too the virtual setting is not always the best setting but right. I was impressed at how quickly. Everybody kind of transferred over and kept the ball rolling, even yeah. though we had this giant um, obstacle in our way. So, yeah. kind of along with, with people getting out of their comfort zone, I thought that was really impressive. Not even just the base, the Air Force, kind of as a whole, yeah. just really stepped up. I thought. No, I think it's you know I always say with this COVID, it's it's, it's going to be like an accordion. So, we're, we're, as we're creating more opportunities to do it in person, mm-hmm. the uh, we may have to someday go back to more to virtual as well. Mm-hmm. But at least we know how to do it. Because we got to make sure we connect with folks. I, I think face to face is always better, but if we have to, a phone call, maybe a FaceTime, yeah, just to see how how you're doing. Well, I'm learning lessons like you just with FTAC, with the virtual class, they're forced to interact with each other more than they would be in a class setting. So I'm yeah. trying to figure out how can we take that back to a class setting? Because there's some airmen that when you that you know throughout the week they don't say anything unless you call on them but in this virtual setting they have to do assignments and they have to talk to each other and they have to put their ideas out there so i'm trying to figure out how to kind of combine those two things uh because i do like some of the virtual stuff that came along with it but like you i love face-to-face it's so much better because you can catch non-verbals you can maybe folks that are shot to ask a question or ask a question behind behind the scenes because you want to make sure people are not suffering yeah and and sometimes people suffer in silence because they're not comfortable bringing up the issue but if you create an environment where they will come talk to you, 
you can work it for them. Mm-hmm. But but I, yeah, I'm getting better in virtual too. I, I like the second F tech when we are just calling people to ask questions because I think it's important to have a dialogue. Yeah. Versus me just talking all the time. Yeah, that worked a lot. That worked really well. And then um, before we get on there, kind of like along you said of, of making yourself uncomfortable, I challenge all of them to ask a question because it's yeah. it's scary to ask the wing commander a question as right. an airman for was for me anyways, and I just never did it. And so even to this day, if I have a question in a big room setting, I still won't ask the question. Um, so I challenge all them to get over that fear, and if you have a question, ask it. Yeah. So, um, but no, yeah, I think the virtual setting does probably open that up a little bit more. So I'm trying to figure out how to take those and bring them into the classroom and, and make it kind of a little bit, that little was bit great, more. Because at first it just means you looking at each other. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, I haven't figured out the uh, Zoom that quite well to figure out to get the whole canvas of the audience. But sometimes it's, everybody had their cameras off, which can be tough too if, you, if you're always doing Zoom calls. I mean, it can be a, it can be tough to always look like you're paying attention. Mm-hmm. Because you're, you know, you can look around in a room, but on Zoom you're looking straight ahead the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so that's why sometimes I make them put turn the cameras on, but sometimes I just, I don't say anything to them because, like, yeah, I agree with you. Sometimes you want to just sit there and listen and not have to look like you're always <laughs> right, right, right. You know, four hundred percent engaged. So, all right, sir. Uh, so the next question I I have for you then is, um, what what is your definition of success after everything, everywhere you've been, everything that you've seen? I'm sure you have probably your own internal version of it. Well, I usually show a picture of my grandfather, and it's in front of a B-29, which is a trainer aircraft uh, during World War II. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people, when they see that picture, they think, oh, your grandfather must have been a flyer during World War II. But actually, he wasn't. I mean, I don't, I don't know why he is in front of that airplane. You know, and while my family, he's wearing a service dress, so mm-hmm. he was in the Army for a little bit. I don't know why we have that picture, but we have it. And then, but I think he only served like two months. Oh, I think wow. he was mentally disqualified or got in trouble. I'm not 100% sure. But he, that, that man, I spent half my life there, uh, my youth. He was my hero. And so you talk about defined success. I, I want to be my kid's hero. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times work is so important. You want to do well at work, but you got to make sure you have that perspective and that balance. Like at the, at the end, what's the most important thing to you? And I, I fell at it. All the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes work is, is becomes a higher priority than my kids and my wife and the family. But at the end, I want to make sure that's what's really going to find my happiness and, mm-hmm. and the impact that I can have on other folks, hopefully in this position as well. So it's not and it's nothing personal. It's just you know making sure I'm doing the right thing for my family and then working hard for the airmen on this base. Yeah. So would you say your family is what motivates and drives you to press forward, or is it a I'd combination say, of family and, and Air Force service? I, I would say, I, was, I had to wrote down Airman originally, but I would say <laughs> both, you know, because the family is something you always rely on. It's always there. Mm-hmm. But what motivates me, too, is when I go around the space, and I've seen it everywhere. There's talent everywhere. But last Friday, I was down at the medical group, and we had these Airmen, A1Cs have been in the Air Force less than six months. And the level of detail that they knew their job, I was like, wow, I need to do better at my job. <laughs> um, that's what motivates me, just to see the talent and, and the care and compassion folks have for mm-hmm. their service. So uh, w- w- when saying all that, what do you think has made you successful over these years? I think two things. One is um, I-, I don't mind working. And so I'll, I'll put the time in and-, and I'll do the hard work um, to get where we need to get to. And the other thing is I'm okay of taking risk, mm-hmm. uh, mitigated risk. But, you know, we don't always have to do the status quo. It's okay to do something different because either, A, you're going to fail at it, but even if you fail, you're going to learn something from that. 
and so you're always learning. Or the second thing is you can, it can be a game changer. Mm-hmm. It can either give a lot of time back to airmen to either we can train more or we give back time just to go watch your kid's soccer game. Mm-hmm. And so hard work and, and take risks. And I always say commanders, you own risks, so take it. And then the frontline supervisors, you know, if you have an ideal and your airman has an ideal, bring it up. Let's try it. Yeah. And uh, I remember, I think the first, the first FTAC you did, that was a big point you hit home. And I really liked that message of, um, especially the part about, you know, if your kid has a soccer game, go, yeah. go to the game. We can figure it out. And, and we're about to figure it out real soon here because right now one of the issues that I'm really concerned about and the chief and I have been talking quite a bit and, and some other key agencies is this new school year mm-hmm. uh, going to be virtual. And we, we had it last spring, same issue, and then through the summer. But probably different challenges. You could have had a teenage uh, kid that was watching the youngest one, and now they have to focus on the school. Mm-hmm. Maybe you saved enough money to cover through summer, or, or maybe you have a family member that came in that could only serve in the summer. So right now we're asking the commanders to look at that really closely to see what the problem is mm-hmm. and, and move forward with that because it, it, is, it is a challenge. Yeah, I um, my wife works in the civilian personnel office, and I know that they're yeah. constantly worrying about that. And luckily for us, all of our kids are 14 and up, so yeah. they can watch themselves. But I can't imagine having to try to work from home while you're watching a toddler. And, and yeah, yeah well, and then we're, we're, we're going to try to do something where we do an outdoor event, mm-hmm. physically distanced, where kids can come and maybe stagger based on grades, so we can don't have a mass of people at once. Mm-hmm. But maybe just to meet people, and even if it's from a you know like how far you and I are, mm-hmm. just so they can get a face with a name. And, and maybe they have the same hobbies that they can talk about virtually, or, or maybe they can be part of that little cluster you have, yeah. the folks you hang out with. Yeah. I, I know a lot of the schools are going, well, starting virtually, and then going to maybe a couple of days a week, and then... Well, I mean, I'm seeing the majority of them are going to go to virtual. Yeah. Um, I think Mead might be one that's it's a hybrid. Most of them are virtual. Yeah. So I, I think it's a, a problem that's out there, and we just got to figure it out, because I think a lot of Airmen are struggling. Kids are probably struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this social connection not being there. Yeah, yeah, that's got to be tough, um, especially all summer. I mean, that was a time to get out and go hang out with your friends all summer, and now yeah. you're <laughs> kind of stuck inside. So, well, not inside, but can't really do that. All right, sir. I'm sure throughout your career you've had a challenge that came along that at the time you were cursing and you thought, why, why is this happening to me? But then when it was done, you were really glad that you had to go through that. So, if you could take us through something like that, that'd be great. There's a bunch, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you learn from all of them, right? And then I would say as a squadron commander, that, that was the first time I really had a, to, to hold some accountability when people have misconduct. Mm. But, I, you know, it, it's easier just to look at what's on paper to make the decision, but then you also got to worry about that. that's the airman piece, right? Mm-hmm. And some of the cases are we have folks that did drugs in a squadron. You can't do that. So they're no longer in the Air Force. So the airman piece... It's easy, right? Sometimes, but then you still have to worry about them as a person because mm-hmm. if they, they you, hopefully, that they have a recovery period outside the Air Force and they can still recover. And so, the challenge for me, and I, I don't know if it's rewarding or it's probably not the right uh, follow up, but it, it's really, really getting to know folks. And, and even though they made poor decisions, they're mm-hmm. still people. And how do you get to the point where after all this one is done, they can still find some value? And then I, I still talk to some folks in my squad, and not necessarily discipline, but maybe I didn't give them the best assignment. It was mm-hmm. just what was available. Because uh, you always want, it's a, it's a, you may serve as a squad commander for two years, but you, you want to make sure you have those contacts well after, because um, the impact you may have had on their life, good or bad. And so 
Squadron Command was definitely, definitely rewarding, but a lot of challenges during that time. So how did you balance, this is something I just, I'm just curious about now, how did you balance that need to hold up standards, but also, you know, you have people that actually have real problems, and if you, you know, maybe take some pay from them or whatever, that's going to cause a real issue with them, yeah. but you also don't want to, you know, put that message out there that, that you can just do what you want. How do you balance that? I, I think a lot of it is just being preventative, you know, as much as you can to know the issues before they become a discipline area. Mm-hmm. And I think you got to, in some squadrons are easier than others, but you got to walk about and you got to talk to folks and, and not saying be evasive, but talk to them so they, they feel comfortable talking to you mm-hmm. and bringing their issues well before their issues. Okay. And so I had a great first shirt. Big fan of first shirts. Mark O'Brien was his name, but he he uh, he was really really good at his job, and so I think he helped me quite a bit in helping other airmen as well. Mm-hmm. But when I read the discipline, you know, you, you kind of have to read it what's on paper, and even though you might like this this person a lot, mm-hmm. this kid a lot, but you have to be fair and consistent. And if there's a if there's I love recovery stories when you, when you folks can recover, yeah. But sometimes it, it's hard. Um, either they they were given multiple chances, or they did certain crimes that are just not forgivable in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. But but it weighs heavily on you. Even yeah. When, even now as a wing commander, it's still I I look at every package in great detail, and a lot of times I'll, I'll call the commander just to get more details mm-hmm. before I make a decision. Yeah, that's got to be tough. Um, I I think I just think about that sometimes. Of, it was tough for me as just a flight superintendent sometimes to have yeah. to tell people no or yeah. you know get on about certain things. I can't imagine having to do that at a level where you can really impact someone's you yeah. know but that's trajectory. Really, that's so good about the Air Force too. I mean, that, we're way more than just you know clocking in, clocking out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a lot of it is getting to know your folks, yeah, and then helping them come because some of these kids, I mean, they they came straight from home, mm-hmm. tech school, and now they're here. It's a, it's a whole new world for them, and, and how can we support them? Because, you know, I get a lot of support, but I was like, I don't need it. I need it that you want to see to feel comfortable mm-hmm. buying a house, uh, if they need to get child care, what the process is. So we got a great team that's really looking into that, and we just, all we can do is continue to improve it. Yeah. So we talked a little bit uh, about some of the schools you had gone to. Aside from the, those schools, do you have any anywhere else that you go for your own professional development? I'm switching gears here now, going to a, a professional development type, type conversation. I, you know, I, I think the most important thing is, I mean, you can, I read, probably don't read as much as I should, but I, you get a lot of professional development talking to your peers or, or your mentors mm-hmm. and get their, you know, a lot of things that you've gone through, you're probably not the first person. Mm-hmm. And right. So if you can reach out, uh, this morning I had a working issue and I, and I called, I guess, the mentor and asked him what, what this person thought. And I think we're in a good spot now for a way ahead. But don't be afraid to ask the question. Right. Uh, I used to always talk about this when you're flying. I mean, you can look at all the approach plates. You can look at the uh, the maps to see where you're going. But the best thing you can do is, is talk to someone that's been there before. Like, oh, yeah, here's what they're going to do to you. They're <laughs> going to have you park over here. They're going to have you do this. And anything you can do to in, improve your your knowledge and your experience, even if you haven't actually been there, uh, it's through talking. Mm-hmm. It's asking questions. So what's interesting is that um, I've asked this question to quite a few people, and a lot of them cite that they, they don't like their their biggest source of professional development is not so much the class they've been to, but other people that oh, they yeah. just discuss things with and yeah. and learn from that. And that's interesting to me that that's that's what you just said that as well. <laughs> so, yeah. 
No, it was good. I mean, in my last school, I went to, the school I went to in London, I was probably one of the younger guys in the class. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of folks there are different countries, but a lot more different experience. Mm-hmm. And so talk to them every once in a while. But, but mostly, I would say your peers. And, and not to, Chief Hodges, I talk to him all the time. Yeah. He's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're a great team to figure out things we can do differently. So you talked about that you do read some, you do read books. Not as I know much, not as much as you want lately. to, but no, but I'm sure you've lately. read quite a few, probably more than most people. I've been reading a lot of emails lately. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. God, some of those can be books, though, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so what, what are a couple books that you recommend everyone pick up and read? They don't have to be about leadership either. They can be about whatever. No, I, I think I mentioned this. Maybe one of your RepTech guys asked me this question, but Unbroken, mm-hmm. about I think Luis Samperini, kind of a lot of resiliency he went through. Uh, growing up in California, he was a, a prisoner of war. Mm-hmm. He was stranded on a, a boat for a while. And just his personal story, how he overcame all those, was an mm-hmm. Olympic, Olympic champion. Um, so Unbroken is a, a great book. And another book I read, it's, it's been a while, but it's about Pat Tillman, mm-hmm. uh, where, where Men Win Glory by John Krakenauer, and kind of his story of how you know, he was a national football player, right? Uh, Arizona Cardinals, and then he decided after 9-11 to join the military. Because 9-11's been 19 years. Yeah. And, and sometimes, I think day to day, we, I, I do, um, we forget what we're here for. Mm-hmm. And we let the, sometimes the, the task that we should go through quickly weigh us down. And then, you know, all we can do is, we should be doing is, how can we best do the mission? How can mm-hmm. we best support the airmen that do the mission? And that includes their families as well. So sometimes those books help me re-cage my own perspective, what I should be focused on, what's the most important piece. Yeah. And so those are great books out I did order a book the other day, um, so I haven't read it yet, but it's about Fairchild. And I can't remember the name of it, but it's about the story of the 1994, you had the shooting at the hospital, and you mm-hmm. also had the V-52 crash. And I can't remember the name of the book, but I, I bought that book, and I bought another book the other day about a tanker pilot story, just so I can mm-hmm. get more immersed. Yeah. But, uh, it, it, yeah, I definitely need to read more. What's the last book you read? Oh, I'm... Let's see. When, when's the last one? Well, so the last book I read was called Disappeared, and it was a. It's like a book by a guy named C.J. Box. He writes a whole series about this uh, Joe Pickett, who's a game warden up in Wyoming. So that was the last book yeah. that I read. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know if, the, if it's modern westerns a genre, but that's kind of what I would peg yeah. it as. Uh, but yeah, uh, and then right now I'm reading a book about a guy who uh, just sold all of his stuff and and backpacked through the Rocky Mountains from Idaho uh, through Montana one winter for a couple of months. And so it just yeah. it's a really interesting story to me about how free he talks about feeling once he unloaded all that stuff and got out in the woods and, and everything. So it's a pretty interesting book right now, about halfway through that one. So. Yeah, I think when I retire, I want to hike the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. Or the, the English, smaller version, the Hadrian Wall. But just, we love, I mean, that's one thing we love about Spokane, is just mm-hmm. the hiking. Yeah. Um, there's a good book by Bill Bryson, Into the Woods, I think it's called, or Walk in the Woods. I don't they made a one. movie with it too, with Nick Nolte, mm-hmm. but it, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm with you. One of the things I love about this area is you can go downtown yeah. if you want to, but then you can also drive 15 minutes and be out in the middle of nowhere where, you know, you can you can kind of go off by yourself and, and re- reset. That's what I like to do. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it, sometimes you got to make yourself get off. You know, I live on base, so get in the car, grab the kids, mm-hmm. get them all fortnight. Yeah. Say, hey, we're going to do this. And sometimes they're hesitant, but once they get out there, mm-hmm. they love it. Yeah, we just went, uh, my family and I just went hiking up to Hawk Creek Trail okay. the other day. It's about an hour drive uh, west and then north 
and then it's it's just but it's gorgeous like it's on a river and i've noticed here they call parts of the rivers they call lakes i've yeah. never seen that anywhere else <laughs> but it's a, i was i would call it a lake but it's it's connected by rivers and you get to this one spot it's like a mile hike okay. in from the parking lot but you get to this one little sandy beach area it's not gigantic but it's just it's really nice and um i oh, think i'm gonna cool. go back up there this weekend and do some fishing but i yeah we just saw it on all trails i don't know if you use that app or not on your phone but it's a really good spot to find hiking spots and then my wife she she's on this facebook group i don't remember what it's called it's like washington hiking trails or something like that but there's people just post pictures of places they go so yesterday she just said hey look at this diablo lake and so we're gonna probably try to go up there at some point and it's just you really find some really nice looking places around here to go so awesome yeah, uh, I think we we did Mount Spokane, mm-hmm. Bowen Pitcher, Liberty Lake. Yep, but there, there was no waterfall when we went up there because it's so been so dry. Oh yeah, and then we were lucky to hang out in Coeur for a while. And then we went to Priest Lake on the weekend too. So I haven't been up to Priest Lake yet, though. I've heard that's really it's good. Nice. Is it? And then this weekend we'll be unpacking. Yeah, but uh, yeah, well that's look, you need to do that. <laughs> look forward to get back on the trails. Absolutely, yeah. There's some really great camp- camping around here and stuff, and it's a good spot for that if you're interested oh, yeah. in it. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if you've made down to Outdoor Rec yet, but we have some oh, of the it, best. Is it, it, is awesome. Yeah, we did actually did a, a promo from there, Chief and I. But it's we went to Clear Lake too and, and rented the boat. Okay, well yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's I'd say it's the best in the Air Force. Yeah, I haven't seen it anywhere. What, what they offer, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I never skied it before in my life, but my wife says I have to this winter, mm-hmm. so. You gotta try it once. And then she says it's cheaper to rent skis from them and buy new ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have a uh, one deal I think where you pay like fifteen dollars and they take you on a bus up to some ski you know mountain and it's 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 just it really 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 good around here. So. And one thing we definitely want to do next year is whitewater rafting. Yes, we did up in Alaska. Yeah, it, it's so fun. I haven't kid, been yet, but I want. to. Oh yeah, go. And my kid, I think twelve years old is usually the age. So I think my kids are of age now; they can go. Okay. Yeah, I haven't. I've, I've always wanted to do that, but I've never done it. So I, that's one of my goals while we're here too. Is you to gotta do, do it. Yeah. Well, sir, I, I could ask you this one about what you're learning now, but I don't know. Fairchild. Kind of yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I, like, I, I tell folks, I might since beginning, like, this is my honeymoon period. Mm-hmm. And so for these first month or two, I'm really, really getting after to, to know the mission set here, um, the challenges that we have here. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I'm ready to help and engage and work those challenges so they become easier uh, for our airmen and our families. And that's across the board. Mm-hmm. You know, it's figure out this whole virtual school thing, figure out the, you know, work with the local community on, on improving housing where we can. Um, I mean, I, my, I always say this, but my, I work for them mm-hmm. way more than, you know, they work for me. I, I, I need to work for them. And so they can focus on the mission and then when they go home, their families. Mm-hmm. So you say you're right now, that's what you're immersing yourself into. Oh, yeah. It's, it's been busy. I, again, I, every day, like, my <laughs> calendar is full, but it's good. Like, it, you know, we talked about earlier, you asked me what motivated me. It's like that, doing these immersions kind of motivates me too. Yeah. Because I get to walk around and I get to see all the awesomeness and talent that's here. Yeah. That's one thing that I loved about going from CE to uh, FSS is even though we're in the same group, but yeah. I just, I didn't realize how diverse FSS was and how they've got their hands in everything, you know, and yeah. I can't imagine, can imagine other squadrons on base are, are similar. I, I learned a lot. So it must be interesting kind of getting to see what everybody does. Yeah. And, it, and I love that because... So we had an O-Call last Friday, I think it was, mm-hmm. and we did it at the 384th because we wanted to do an auditorium. And, and we had to do things probably in smaller numbers, mm-hmm. but in person, as long as we keep that six feet and, and mask protocol going. But the next time we're looking to go take it to maintenance. Okay. And so you, you folks, and it's not maintenance officers, it's the whole wide uh, spectrum of AFSCs right. across the space. That will meet, and, and I love it because you get exposure to different mission sets. Mm-hmm. You understand a little bit more, and you can actually move along 
a lot further. Yeah. Or even just seeing where their buildings are, I think, helps some people realize where they work or who they yeah. can go talk to about things. And absolutely. Yeah, when I first got here, the, the exec boss, he always had us send me a, a pin drop to where I was going. Because <laughs> one time I went, I went to the wrong IG. IG has two buildings. Mm-hmm. I went to the wrong one. I was like, where, where am I? So, <laughs> but now I'm, I got the base pretty wired down now. Where I kind of know where to go. Yeah. Once you get, it's like two main roads pretty much once yeah. you get it down. Yeah. All right, sir. Well, that takes us to the to the last thing that I would like to discuss and what are, are three takeaways that you'd like to leave the listeners with? I think uh, for one is I always talk about attitude. Mm-hmm. To me, attitude is the most important thing. I think we can teach or we can train talent, but attitude, if you have a positive attitude, we, we can do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, second thing I would say, which kind of goes in with the, the first one as well, is be a good person, you know. There's a lot of folks out there right now that are, that are struggling. And I think COVID is making it really tough. Mm-hmm. And so if you can take that time to just call and, and check on folks or if you talk to a person face-to-face, and if you get to know them, you can tell when something's off, then just talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we need to all support each other. Because this is going to be this way probably for another, at least to the spring next year. Yeah. Or, or maybe longer. And so we've got to find ways that we can take care of each other. And how we do it. I mean, I, I love the fact that you do FTAC, mm-hmm. and I'm sure the airmen call you afterwards as well. And you kind of keep that <laughs> mentorship going. Sometimes, you know, yeah. But, but, but I hope they do. But be a good person. Mm-hmm. Um, look out for other folks. And, and the last one, which I struggle with, and I'm sure there's a lot that you struggle with as well at times, is balance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every, I always say everybody, when I talk in a room, I usually say everybody in this room is so important. But you're not that important. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, of course, we need you. Of course, we need you for the mission. But there's days that you have to take a knee, either because of something personally, something you're struggling with, or because you got to be there for your family. Mm-hmm. Um, most people have, uh, like I'm a wing commander. I have a vice wing commander, and he's gone right now. And so I, it, with my move coming up and when I got leave, the OG commander, the officer group commander can cover for me. There's someone that can cover for you. Mm-hmm. So make sure you take care of yourself and find that balance. And then... Make sure your airmen are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And make sure folks in your organization are doing the same thing. I think that that last one is a great message. Um, I, sometimes I struggle getting people to come to the professional enhancement seminars, yeah. and I'll, I'll start calling people. Yeah. And I get that, oh, you know, we got a lot going on at work. And, and I'm like, you know, like you just said, there's nobody on this base where if you didn't, if you just dropped off the face of the earth tomorrow, the, the mission would still go forward. Right. You know what I mean? And that's not to say that you're not important, but right, right. You, you can take some time to come to come sit in a class for a little while and, and uh, you know, refresh yourself or learn something so yeah i think I, that's I, a good one yeah i think and I, you know, always say like everyone's important but not important but I'm, it's just <laughs> it's a message just to show that yeah you know other folks can can fill your void when you're not there because mm-hmm. you never know what the day is going to hold mm-hmm. uh, you don't know and, and you don't you don't even know what's going on in their hometown and that could be a lot of their their their, their concerns yeah so obviously break down the barriers of protocol so people feel comfortable talking to you absolutely all right, sir. Well, I, I don't have anything else. I appreciate you sitting down. Yeah, as, as I as I know you're doing your immersions, and it sounds like you get your household goods in, so you sound very busy. But I definitely appreciate you sitting down and giving the time to to just get everyone give everyone a chance to get to know you a little bit better. Hopefully, we'll get some questions out of this podcast that we can send you. Yeah, yeah <laughs> maybe we can do a follow up one or something like that. But um, unless you have anything else, sir, that's that's all no, I've got. I look forward to seeing you on the next FTAC discussion is that one looking virtual or uh it's looking virtual for now but we have um a well no that'll happen after we have another we have an airman professional enhancement seminar coming up at the end of the september that it's going to be in person so you actually get to 
stand in front of a group of people this time and, <laughs> and talk yeah. to them. So, so I'll, I usually do better if I feed off the crowd. And then, um, but I met uh, Sergeant Flores yesterday. He was your mm-hmm. mentor in your last, last FTAC class. Yep. He's the one I accidentally called out for a question. Yeah. He's on an FTAC. I was like, are you still asking questions? <laughs> yeah, he, I think he had one for you anyway, though. Yeah, so. he's, he's a good kid. Awesome. All right, sir. Well, I don't want to take up any more of your time uh, so you can get back to, to it. And uh, again, we really appreciate you sitting down with us. So. Perfect. Hey, thanks so much. Thank you, sir. All right. Until next time, everybody. Well, that's it for this episode of Refuel Team Fairchild. If you have show ideas, people you'd like to hear from, or if you'd like to be on the podcast, contact us at fafbcaa at gmail.com.